From Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a Vine Pair Podcast Conversation. We're bringing you these conversations between our regularly scheduled podcast episodes in order to give you a better picture of how the COVID-19 virus is impacting all parts of the alcohol beverage industry, and as a way to provide a bit of hope and a path forward for all of us. Today, I'm lucky to be talking with Ed Pilkington, Chief Marketing and Innovation Officer, Diageo North America. Ed, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. How are you doing, first of all? Pleasure to join. Thanks, Adam. Uh, no, very well, thank you. And uh, all is well, working our way through this. And um, uh, all is well at Diageo, thanks. So when this first happened, obviously, we all sort of saw it coming. You probably more than others because your business is so global. Um, had you already started thinking about how the business might adapt, um, just knowing what was happening in other parts of the world where you operate? Well, I think um, we, um, well, the first thing is throughout the whole thing, the first, our first priority it's worth mentioning is our uh, people uh, and throughout this, and this is something we've been very clear about, uh, really is making sure we look after our people around the world uh, and as a truly global business. That's been our, our, our number one priority throughout this from the start. You know, it, it's obviously first hit in China and um, we, uh, back in February, we made announcements about the impact that it was having on our business in China. We made a, a statement then. Uh, and then obviously it's gone around the world and we've uh, adapted, but we, there's been some fantastic global coordination um, in terms of how we've managed this. A lot of connectivity uh, across markets, which has been very good. And then individual markets like ourselves here in North America, uh, connected into what's going on globally, um, have been making sure we're putting the, the right plans in place. As I say, starting by just making sure that you know our people uh, are, in a, are in a good place. So we've really focused on making sure our people are well, they are able to function well at home and operate well at home with their families or if they're on their own. Um, we've got an employee assistance program to help people. Uh, we're keeping a lot of regular communication, a lot of regular dialogue, um, really, you know, making sure that, you know, there's enough um, enough contact uh, with our with our people. Uh, and we're regularly monitoring developments. So, you know, obviously, like all businesses, um, you know, we've got a, uh, a process, we've got crisis management teams in place, all of that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, we're managing our way through it. Well, so, I mean, talking about the people just like us, you about what a month or two before all this, maybe three months, had moved into brand new offices, um, and now you're all working from home. What is that like in terms of how do you think about managing a team from home? Especially, I mean, part of your half of your title is innovation, right? So especially when you think about innovating um, and being nimble, how are you sort of making sure that that thought process is happening and that the sort of brainstorms are happening while everyone is sort of working from their living rooms, bedrooms, kitchens, etc. Yeah, no, you're right. We did move into uh, wonderful new offices downtown, uh, and we sincerely hope that we will be back there at some stage in the near future. <laughs> but actually, it, it's been interesting. It's, I think it's been a, uh, a fantastic learning experience. I think there's a, you know, and you see a lot of this in, there's lots of COVID-19 stuff sort of flying around. Um, I think the first thing is resilience. I think what you're seeing is real resilience from lots of people and ability to adapt. And then I think um, agility is a word that is used a lot, agility and sort of flexibility. And we've really, really seen this. The other piece I think is, which has been fortunate for us is, one, we're a business which really values relationships anyway. So we've been a relationship-centered business. So in terms of, so there's a lot of connectivity anyway across our teams, uh, both individual teams and then how we work across North America and globally. So I think that has, uh, that stands us in good stead. And the other thing actually, just in terms of Zoom, which is clearly booming at the moment, <laughs> um, we started using Zoom about, about two years ago. So we were very sort of Zoom friendly uh, as a business uh, and very much used to people Zooming into meetings and joining in. Um, a lot of people would be maybe working one or two days a, a week from elsewhere, you know, a culture actually where a lot of people were traveling anyway. So we were very used to sort of going into a meeting room and, you know, basically clicking on a Zoom number 
and, and getting on with a meeting with people dialing in from elsewhere. So the concept of sort of people, not everyone always being in the, in the same room was not something we were doing. So, so one, I think we've, we've adapted. The second thing, I think there's been a real focus around communication and keeping connected. Um, so, you know, I'd say at our North American exec level, uh, a huge amount of uh, connectivity from our crisis management team to just connecting in um, my team. So I you know, look after a, the marketing innovation leadership team. You know, we have regular connectivity, connecting in, and then that cascades through the, the brand teams. Um, I have message, I have sessions with my uh, broader, bigger community. We did a town hall for well over a thousand people last Thursday with Deirdre, our president, and a few of us, again, connecting across the business. So I think businesses are almost making a conscious effort not to over-communicate, but to really communicate. Um, Deirdre, who's, who's fabulous, she, um, she does a, a weekly vlog and she's been doing it for a while. And lots of people used to sort of, um, you know, zoom in for it. But I mean, nowadays we, we have record attendance levels because people want to be connected. And I think at this time, there's a fundamental need when people are sitting at home. Humans want to be connected. Humans want to be connected. They want to feel they, and they want to feel they've got a purpose and they're still working and they're still delivering. Um, so we feel actually really good about it. On the, um, on the innovation piece, uh, again, we just adapted. Um, and, you know, I have lots of meetings with our innovation team. And again, we flex. So I have been receiving, um, for example, we have some exciting innovation, which will come out in the next 6, 12, 18, 24 months. And instead of sitting in a meeting room uh, in downtown or up in Stanford, where our innovation lab is, uh, I now receive samples at my home here. Amazing. So um, on Friday, I received some samples of something which I can't really talk about now, uh, but it was fantastic, which is something we're looking at for next year. Uh, and uh, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> um, and I sent the team an email saying, this is fantastic. I think you've done some great work on it. It seems to have really come on. So, I mean, I, I feel like my part of my home has become a sort of mini innovation lab with liquids being sent through. Um, and we're still managing that. We have a plan where someone will go into the innovation lab. It's all very highly uh, managed in terms of that, in terms of how we manage with it. We're, uh, so again, we manage that very much within the guidelines and obviously within social distancing and everything. So no, it's, it's, it's essentially business as usual um, in terms of how we manage all that stuff. So one of the things you spoke about that I think is uh, I want to pick up on is, first of all, the adaptability, but also the fact that you are tasting these liquids at home. And we know that most people now are consuming these liquids at home. And uh, I had an interview a few weeks ago with Stephanie Gallo in which she basically said something similar to you in that, you know, alcohol beverage, this liquid is something that brings us together. So people are still looking to connect in some way. Um, how have you or have you at all adapted your marketing in order to sort of recognize that the, the market kind of changed in the last few weeks in terms of people making more cocktails at home, people, you know, looking to socialize, et cetera. And if, if you have, what has that looked like? Uh, we, yeah, so we've really spotted that trend that you mentioned. So the, um, you know, the rise of the uh, in at-home cocktail and there was a sort of mixology at home. And I think it plays to that fact that because, you know, we are all at home, there's been a, a rise in interest in cooking and drinks because people actually want to do stuff which feels interesting and a bit different. And I think you're seeing also a real rise in a desire for people to learn. People have got time at home. And I know everyone's busy and flat out and spending hours a day on Zoom calls or whatever, Microsoft Team calls, et cetera. Um, but there is a desire to make the most of this time. Mm -hmm. And I think people really want to really want to learn. Uh, so I think hence the cooking piece, hence the, the cocktail piece. I think the other people is people want stuff which is, makes it feels like there's something a little bit special going on in their lives. Um, so that sort of that break moment from sort of I've been on calls all day working or I've been looking after the family, whatever it might be, or homeschooling. 
since sort of the, the evening. And that break has kind of become that virtual, that cocktail moment. And I think there's something about having something which feels a bit interesting and a bit different and you feel good about it. And even the, you know, the, the rise of the, I love the way they call it the virtual cocktail. I mean, the cocktail is clearly not virtual. It seems very real. Right. The collection <laughs> clearly is virtual. And I, you know, the amount of people who I've uh, connected with or reconnected with over the last few weeks, just personally, has been amazing. And you look at the data on it, it's staggering. And the amount of time we're doing it over a cocktail. And um, so, yeah, we're really seeing this rise of sort of interest in in-home mixology, um, a desire to sort of learn new skills, cooking, drink skills, et cetera. Uh, and I think there is something about it. If you're doing it, if you're on a, a virtual cocktail with a load of old friends from wherever it might be, and you turn up and you go, hey, look, I've just made a, a, a just name drop. I've just done a Tanqueray Negroni. You kind of look a little bit cooler, you know, right. versus, you know, in some respect. Hey, look what I've done. Ooh, you know, um, so I think there's, there's something about that. It's a bit of sort of social cachet starting to, to come in as well. So I, look, I think it's I think it's fascinating. The other thing we've done as well, which is linked to that is, you know, Clearly, the the downside of all of that is with all this going on is the on-premise is shut. Right. Uh, and, you know, um, we're doing lots of support to sort of fuse both. So, you know, clearly the whole industry has been amazing at supporting uh, the bartender community. We've obviously done a fair bit, which has been pretty public. Uh, but one of the programs we've done has been the uh, hashtag tips from home, which is uh, a blend of taking bartenders and really getting them to um, basically and using our different brands. So basically all, all through, obviously, clearly all through social, all through Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, and basically sort of getting into people's homes and showing how you make great bullet cocktails, great tanqueray cocktails, et cetera, um, using bartenders. And then every time anyone posts, uh, we give a donation to the USBG, who we've you know, already supported as well and continue to want to support. So um, so we're seeing a lot of that and a lot of, and a lot of brands outside of us as well are, are doing all this work to make sure that people are not just learning and building skills and having great cocktails, but some good is going back into the uh, the on-premise, which is really important. So, I mean, basically, do you, do you think after all of this, we'll sort of all emerge um, with a higher appreciation for cocktails? Has that been a conversation that you've had with your team that maybe this is even, you know, because you are making cocktails at home, there's all these campaigns. I know we're running the Johnny Walker campaign with you, educating people about all the classic scotch cocktails. Um, do you think that people will come out of, uh, you know, this quarantine for however long it lasts with even a higher knowledge and, and potentially then support the on-premise even more because they really can't appreciate a good drink? I, I think definitely. Uh, I mean, I think um, the skills that people are learning, so the, the, the art of becoming a sort of mixologist at home means I think people are appreciating um, making great drinks at home. And I think that will mean that will translate to when they're out, wanting to have those drinks as well, when they're out and about, when people get back out, which will support the on-premise, which will be key. Uh, and similarly, I think actually we may see a rise of people at home entertaining as well and you know having the confidence to maybe make slightly more exciting drinks for their friends when people start to come back around again so i think i think it's it's i think it's great for cocktails in general and mixology so in that vein what are you drinking so that's a, that's a great question so i'm <laughs> so most people who know me know i'm a pretty diehard tanqueray and tonic drinker uh so i'm candidly still drinking a lot of a uh, lot of tanqueray and tonics I've tried a couple of, um, uh, I mean, I love a whiskey drinker as well. So I've tried a couple of whiskey cocktails. I've uh, experimented with a couple of, with old, uh, a bullet old fashioned um, as well, which I, again, um, uh, as a big whiskey fan. And then candidly, on top of that, I'm kind of drinking as well. I love bullet rye on a rocks, to be honest with you. So, I mean, 
between Tanker and Tonic and Bullet Rider Rocks, I'm pretty happy actually. Uh, <laughs> but I have done a little bit of experimenting on the, on the edges as well because I feel I needed to. But so, so no, as of right now, no crazy cocktail projects. You're not fat washing gin or you know barrel aging Negronis or things like that yet. No, but I, I kind of, I, I, I think I need to get to that. I think that's the next phase. I think as well, it's been a bit crazy for the last few weeks. So I've been doing, I've certainly been enjoying my cocktails that I've been making. So the relatively simple ones. But I think the next phase is to, to get into that, actually. Um, so um, who knows? Watch your space. <laughs> and, and, and I do think you guys have some brilliant stuff on, on Vine Pair. So there's a lot, a lot of great inspiration there. Well, thank you very much. Well, Ed, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. You are incredibly busy. So you spending you know about 15 minutes with me here today is super appreciated. Is there anything that I um, didn't ask that you wanted to make sure we covered? No, I think that's great, Adam. I pretty appreciate it. I just want to say thank you for connecting in. Um, I think what's great is how the industry's, you know, come together over this over this period of time. As you said, I think it's great how, you know, people are enjoying drinks and enjoying drinks responsibly at home. And, um, you know, I, I think hopefully out of this, we'll see the, the rise of the cocktail and, um, you know, let's see where we are in 12 months time. Um, but you no, know, thank you. I appreciate you uh, checking in. Thank you so much. I appreciate it as well. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.